because it symbolizes so much more of what's possible. This guy, Matthew Kelly, he says, most people, they overestimate what you can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a month. We overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we could accomplish in a decade. How cool. Well, what if we were to have a bit more of a long game view of our lives and start to think, what could the next decade look like? Because it's incredible. You think 10 years ago, where were you? And how amazingly, in the twinkling of an eye, 10 years may have passed. And suddenly I feel just as young as I did when I was a student and I was doing all this stuff. And you go, no, 10 years has passed since that happened. Hey, maybe it's an opportunity for us to just take a little bit of stock, to look ahead and go, what could the next 10 years look like? And of course, as a pastor, I want to try hone in in the next three weeks. What could the next 10 years, what could the next year, I suppose, as well, look like when it comes to following Jesus? I've had this little prophetic expectation in my heart. I feel like God whispering a sense of expectation for 2020. I feel like there is fruitfulness for us as a community. I genuinely believe that God has magnificent stuff for us. Some, uh, G- uh, Genesis 49 says it like this. Speaking of Joseph, it says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. I genuinely think God has some, some growing for us to do, and it's going to be a little hard to contain, and we're not going to know where it came from. The only thing that a vine needs to do is to stay rooted in the, in the key place. The rest of it is, is growth you can't contain. And I genuinely think God has some wonderful growing for us to do. Internally, I'm going to speak about that today, and as a community. And we've got to prepare ourselves for both. The internal growth actually prepares us for the external growth. Or or how about Psalm 1? None of these are on the screen. I came across these later in my prayer time and didn't have time to put them up. Psalm 1, how about starting our decade like this? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree, listen to this, planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I feel like that analogy of, hey, you guys put your roots down into the right places and I'll deal with the fruit. You keep doing what you need to do as followers of Jesus and I'll do the fruit bearing. I will cause you to grow as long as you stay connected to the vine, as long as your roots are going into that place that is most crucial. And I want to speak to us today about exactly that, about being the kind of people who are going to grow. And, and I want us to have a long game mentality. Yes, I want us to grow in 2020, but I also want us to grow in the next decade because real growth takes a long time. Ask somebody who's known you for a while whether growth takes a while and they'll go, yes, growth takes time. It really does. I want to read a few scriptures and then I'm going to try sort of pull together a whole bunch of thoughts and hopefully you can track with me as we go. So here's a few scriptures. First, in Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, hey guys, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What, what does Jesus not say? What Jesus doesn't say is, hey, come, come to church a few times and, uh, and try it out. Uh, that's cool, I'm happy. If you are trying church out, fantastic. But, but that's not Jesus' primary call. Or Jesus doesn't say, hey, try reading your Bible for a few days and everything will be sorted. 
He doesn't say that either. He says, hey, come follow me. And he doesn't even have a time limit on it. He just says, guys, I want you to get into a whole new curriculum for life. It's going to take a long time. But you just do this day in and day out, and you watch what happens. You watch what happens. I love it. It's also grace-filled because Jesus doesn't look at a perfect group of people. He looks at some deadbeat fishermen. He looks at a bunch of tax collectors whose lives are falling apart. He looks at people who had an average 2019 who did a whole bunch of stuff they wish they hadn't done. And he says, hey, come follow me and I'll do some special stuff in your life. I'm going to change the way you, you view the world. I'm going to transform the way that your heart works. And I'm going to cause you to become a more loving, more kind, more patient, more compassionate person. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you patience. I'm going to teach you what it means to live my way. All I'm asking you to do is come follow me. Just, just get in proximity. Proximity is going to bring about transformation. Just stick close to me, says Jesus. He invites us into a kind of apprenticeship. And I wonder if this year we would start to think about our lives, not as people who go to church or not identified as people who, uh, who say, I'm a Christian. No, no, what about calling ourselves apprentices of Jesus or followers of Jesus? People who are looking at the life and the person of Jesus and all that his message entails and going, I just want to follow him. I want to get closer to him so that I can live more like him, so that I can show more of the world what he is like. That's a cool way to view our faith, right? It takes out the religious nonsense of, of all the other stuff that we think we need to do, and we rather just go to Jesus and go, who are you? What are you like? I'm going to follow you this year. I'm going to follow you this decade, and I'm going to see what happens at the end of that. Hey, what about 2 Peter 1 verse 3? It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Whoa, that's a big one. That's saying, hey, none of us who follow Jesus, who've said, yes, I believe in your grace, I believe in your mercy, I believe you died for my sins so that I could have a relationship with you. There is no follower of Jesus who doesn't have the resources given to them by God to be able to do the life of following him. None of us can point the finger at God and say, you just didn't help me to follow Jesus. You just weren't there for me when I needed you. He says that in the message of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got all the resources we need to pull off a decade of following Jesus and becoming more and more and more like him. That's pretty cool, but it's also pretty scary, right? No excuses in a way. And then 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Let's pause for a moment there. This passage simply says to you and I, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given a new heart. Probably a better way to think of it in this, in our generation, is you've been given a whole new DNA. You've been given a whole new DNA. Now, put that down for a moment. Imagine you're sitting in your home on a Saturday morning. You're about to, you know, make some coffee and just start off your morning nice and slow, and you hear a knock on the door. Pretty abnormal. People don't usually knock on your door on a Saturday morning, but you open, and there's these three men, and, 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 and they've all got black suits on, and this official-looking lady walks in uh, with them, and she sits down, and she says, we need to talk. You obviously feel like something must be wrong. You have to let them in. They're so official. They're terrifying-looking people. They look like they're sort of government officials of some sort. They sit down. They say, we've got some very interesting news for you. Don't worry. It's not bad. It's actually quite good. 
okay, I'm listening. Then they say to you, they say to you of all people, we have done DNA testing of every single South African citizen. If you're not a South African, you're another citizen, apply that nationality to you. We have done testing of all the DNAs of every person in South Africa, and you, of all the people in the world, are the person who is best DNA'd, who is best wired to be a marathon running champion. Blink at them a thousand times. Your chin rests on the table because you don't know what to say. So the first thing you say is, no, it's not me. It must be somebody else. I am not a marathon champion. Just look at me. They go, ma'am, we've done the testing. It's definitely you. Is this your ID number? Yes, that's mine. Is this, are these photos of, yes, that's me. Are these your kids? Yes, that, that, that's, ma'am, sir, you, out of all the people in South Africa, are the best wired dna person to be a marathon champion. We would like to get you ready for the Olympics. You do. How, how do you respond to something so absurd as that if it were to come into your life and somebody were to say, you could be a marathon champion? The facts are there. It's true. It's, it's actually true of you. You do the DNA testing. You go verify it with doctors. Tim Noakes looks at you and he says, it's true. That's right. I agree with these doctors. You are wired for this thing. <sighs> how do you deal with something like that? Well, I would suggest there would be two things you would need to work out. If you, okay, you agree and you say, okay, cool, it's true. Absolutely, it must be true. Everyone's verified it. I look down and I don't think this body is ever going to run more than three Ks, probably at a walk, but, but I'll, I have to believe it. So then what do you do? You've got to decide on two things. The first thing you need to decide on is, do I want this? Do I actually want to, to become a marathon champion? Do I want to get to the Olympics? Do I want to try to get a, a medal for my country? If you decide yes, you say, actually, I am hungry for this thing. I would like to try my best, even though it feels out of the ordinary, I'm going to give it a go. Then what's the next thing you do? Once you've made your decision, you go, yes, I'm growing hunger for this thing. What's the next thing you're going to do? Sit on your bum and watch TV. Right? Wrong. You're not going to sit on your bum and watch TV. You're not even going to go for a 2K jog. You are going to start something called training. You're going to start to practice. And you're not just going to try going for a 2K jog and then stopping, because you're going to need to realize that although under these excess baggage that you're carrying along, there is actually still DNA under there that is wired for running. And it may start with a walk, and then it's going to get into a jog, and then it's going to get a little longer and a little longer. Eventually, you're going to start to discover that down there is this DNA. It's just going to take a while to discover. These verses that I've been reading are a bit like the spiritual kind of FBI, walking into your life and saying, you, my friend, are wired you have been given a heart and a DNA, believe it or not, that you could become the kind of person that looks more and more like Jesus. You can and should become more loving, more patient, more kind, more peaceful, more joyful, more forgiving. 
All of the fruits of the Spirit can and should become true of you because you have been given a new heart. The new has come. The old has gone. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. There is a new DNA set that's been put inside of you. And whilst you may look down and you see resentment and anger and unforgiveness and a sense of just not really growing and changing as much as you wish you had in the last few years, underneath all of that, the spiritual FBI, the angels of heaven, whoever you want to say, comes into your life, the Holy Spirit, and he says, you have high potential for great Spiritual transformation. But you need to ask yourself two questions. Are you hungry? And are you willing to practice? Are you hungry? And are you willing to practice? Because this is not going to change in a month. This is going to take time. This is going to take work. Because inside of the, this, this dna person who's ready to live more like the God who is from heaven is also a whole bunch of warring factions that want to make you more selfish, want to cause you to preserve your own life at the expense of others. It's going to want to make you live in, a, in unforgiveness and, and not let people off the hook. There's so much jealousy. And yet, says the Scriptures, you are a new creation, and there is high potential for transformation. So firstly, where's your hunger? What is, let's look a little bit at hunger. I think that's a good place to start. What are you thinking for the next year, 2020? I don't know what your hunger levels are like. But I do want to paint a picture of the fact that you personally, if you're a follower of Jesus, have the possibility to become incredibly more like Jesus. I would ask you, would you want to get more hungry to become more like him? Can I incite you? Can I encourage you to think about becoming more hungry to grow into the likeness of Jesus? Maybe more hungry to be more like Jesus than to do anything else with your life. One theologian says the greatest gift that we can give to God is a transformed life. We can't pay him back for the forgiveness he's given us. We can't pay him back for his grace. We can't pay him back for the creation he made. None of that. We can't pay God back anything. What we can do is we can give him back a transformed life, one that is becoming more and more like Jesus. Hey, hunger is such an important thing. And, and, and Nikki said a beautiful prayer this morning and reminds me all the time because sometimes I, I, I talk about hunger and people look back at me and go, oh, I'm not that hungry. It's okay. There is another prayer you can pray. Your prayer could be, God, I'm not hungry, but I'm hungry to be hungry. Honestly, it's a fair prayer. It's a fair prayer to pray. And it's okay because what it says is, I know I should want to become more like Jesus. I'm just a little fatigued by the whole thing of life, but I want to start somewhere. I'm hungry to be hungry. Cool. Let's start there. What you've done there is pray. <laughs> That's a good start. You're saying, I want to know what God is like, and I wouldn't mind if that transforming grace would start to take effect in my life. And, and, and hunger speaks of working out, how do I view this whole thing of spirituality? You see, sometimes we can view our spirituality as a kind of balancing act. And, and we, we, you know, we get told that all the time. That is probably the most you know, secular wisdom is basically says, just live a balanced life. Have a little bit of church, a little bit of Bible, a little bit of Jesus, a bit of career, a bit of hobby, a bit of family. Just balance them all out. Most theologians, most true followers of Jesus, when you read the Bible, Jesus doesn't call us at all to a balanced life. 
He doesn't have scales where he says a little bit of me and a little bit of Korea and a little bit of this. Jesus calls us to what I would call a centered life. It's not about scales. It's about considering a wheel and saying, what's at the center of your life and what are you going to let everything else spin around? You know that most of us have a center anyway. It's a driving passion that we often make a lot of the other things spin around. Whether it's a career, whether it's our own passions, our own hobbies, most of it, we, we make our time, we make our finances, we make a lot spin around that. Jesus, his call in the gospel, and I think his call to us in this decade is to say, hey, would you start working out, getting a little hungry to make everything spin around me? Jesus makes some radical calls to that. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, hey, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. What he's saying there is he's saying, stop trying to balance the scales. This is an exercise in immense trust. What he says is he says, do you know that I know better than you in every area of your life? Whether it's your finances or your career or your friendships or your sexuality, I made it all and I love it more than you do and you can trust me with it. So turn it into a spoke in the wheel. Don't make it the center of the wheel. And start to center your life around me. That's what he's calling us to. And he's saying, would you become hungry to more and more get better at that so that the wheel starts to spin well? Most of us have a slightly squonky wheel with some spokes that are a bit long and, and, and some things that are just a bit out and we sort of, we're moving forward, but that's okay. Remember, we're practicing. Christians practice, they don't try. Christians practice, they don't try. I think of um, my little daughter, she says to me, uh, she actually says it all the time. She first holds her arms out and she says, do you know why I'm so strong? We go, why are you so strong? She says, because I ate broccoli. I said, so, so I heard this the first time, and I actually let her off the hook for quite a while, because I thought she was saying, I'm so strong because I eat broccoli. That was what I thought she was saying. But she is totally convinced that, you know, six months ago when she ate broccoli, that was like the super pill. That was going to make her superhuman. So she shows her muscles and she says, I ate broccoli. So she doesn't need it again. She's taken the pill, and now she's superhuman. Maybe we've got that view of our spirituality. We just take a few pills here and there. You know, pitch up at church, maybe get to life group if it's convenient, maybe do a few things. You just pop the pill here and there, and people say, hey, you know, and, and you just say, you know why I'm strong? Because I take the pill. You know, the, 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 the pill Jesus calls us to take is actually to follow him. And to practice his ways day in and day out until we get better and better and better. My hope is that today I am the worst follower of Jesus I will ever be. Because by his grace and his kindness, I'm walking with him and I'm going to get better. And the same is true of you. Because he calls you to come follow him. Maybe you're not following Jesus at all. You're not convinced. You've been dragged along. I hope that even as you start to consider this, that maybe you, you start to walk with him and you start to see that who he is and what he says makes sense of the complex and confusing world that we live in. I don't know where your hunger is at, but, but, but maybe you want to start there. You want to start by going, I need 
more of Jesus. You're going to hear that word a lot this year. We're going to talk about hunger, and we're going to talk about wanting to be in Jesus' presence. There's not some spooky, hyper-charismatic thing. It's about just knowing what Jesus is like and walking with him and finding his ways and, and finding out how the Holy Spirit helps us to know who he is and what he's like so that our lives can become more and more like that. That's the point of, of being a follower of Jesus. What I love about hunger is it puts all kinds of creativity on the table. You think about the last time you were hungry for a meal. Hey, when last were you super starving? Most of us don't even know that. We just get food. We just find ways to eat. But, but, but when people are hungry, they do all kinds of things. They move countries to get food. They, move, they, 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 they go swimming. They go rafting. They do what they need to do to get a meal to fill their stomachs. It develops creativity, it develops courage, it develops conviction. Hey, I wonder if you could develop a holy hunger to know God, to become more like Jesus, to reflect Him in the world. Hey, then once you're hungry, there's actually got to be something we do. And I want to spend the next three weeks, uh, up until the 19th, talking about some of the practices that make up following Jesus. There's so many that we can't cover all of them, but, but I want to talk about... What are some of the things that followers of Jesus have been doing that have been taken from the Scriptures for the last 2,000 years and to just start saying, how can we start to practice some of these things? How can we actually put some feet onto our following of Jesus? It's more than just pitching up a church. It's more than just necessarily reading our Bibles, although it includes all of that. And, and how do we start to practice following Jesus? Jesus. We're not just going to try it for a few months in the beginning of 2020. We are going to practice it over and over until we become more like Him. That's why this series I've called Practice Makes People. Practice Makes People. Uh, it comes actually from a guy named N.T. Wright. He actually says that you know, God created us in His image and likeness, which is really beautiful. We were made as uh, almost temples of, of God. That was the ancient kind of picture. And we were all meant to be like a temple as a reflection of the God that it worships. Human beings are meant to be temples of the God who created the world. That's what it means to be made in His image. That word image comes from the, the word temple, a place of worship. We as human beings were meant to be people who reflected the God who is. That's what you're meant to be. N.T. Wright says this. He says when we sin we actually become less human. We dehumanize ourselves. The more we rebel and turn our back on God and sin, the less human we are. The less you, you are, the more you turn your back on God. Your jealousy, your anger, your rage, your frustration, your hatred, whatever it may be, actually turns yourself in on itself and instead of light and reflection of the glory of God, you start to reflect a lesser, less than human person. That, that's, a, that's a wonderful thought. Because when Jesus comes in, he, he says there's a new possibility. You can now reflect and become more like the life of God, and you can become more human. You can become more youier than you actually thought. You can become the person you were designed and created to be. You can become more loving, patient, kind, gracious, etc., etc., but it's going to take some time. You've got, the, you've got the raw materials, but you're going to need to start doing some stuff. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who, uh, we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, that means we, we're looking at God, are being transformed 
into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is a promise that proximity will bring about transformation. Get close to Jesus and you will start to become like him. Jesus said, follow me. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded them. He makes these amazing commands that we should know what he's like. The follower of Jesus knows what Jesus is like, and then does what Jesus did, and actually obeys what Jesus said. If you want to really button it down, say, what does a follower of Jesus do? Oh, well, we do what Jesus did, and we obey what Jesus said. And, and, and suddenly, the grace of God flows to us. We don't, we don't define ourselves by anything other than following Jesus. But it's going to take practice. You can't just eat broccoli once and think we're strong spiritually. We're going to need to work on things day in and day out. We don't, we don't try. We practice. So I want to suggest two practices. I'm going to suggest two each week for the next uh, three weeks. Two practices. One, scripture reading, and secondly, uh, reflection. Scripture reading and reflection. Not complicated. It's simple. Um, but, but these are two things we see Jesus himself doing. Let's look firstly at, at scripture reading. And by the way, if you want to know more about spiritual practices, some fantastic books, uh, if you've got a pen and paper, write these down. John Ortberg, terrible title to his book. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted, but it is a beautiful, beautiful book. Dallas Willard, The Spirit of the Disciplines, or, or Renovation of the Heart, fantastic books to read, or Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. These will talk you through what does it mean to follow Jesus practically in a day-by-day thing. Uh, what are some of the practices, before I look at the ones uh, of Scripture reading? Well, here's some of them. Generally, they're broken up into different categories. The one kind of category would be practices of restraint. Some things Jesus chose not to do. So, Jesus put himself in places of silence and solitude, a foreign concept in our world, or, or rest and Sabbath. Jesus rested. That's a foreign concept also in our generation. Sabbath, fasting, Jesus fasted. That's a spiritual practice. Those are practices of restraint. What about things we're called to do? Scripture and prayer, community, confession and repentance, service and generosity. These are all things we're called to do. Some people break them down into communal practices and to private practices. Some communal things are celebration, worship, service, confession and repentance. Some private ones are things like prayer, scripture, reflection, and solitude. There's different ways to look at it, but the point is, is Jesus actually did some stuff that he calls us to do. Two we're going to look at. Firstly, scripture reading. Reading the Bible. I'm just going to talk for a minute on each of them. Reading the Bible. It, it, it's so key. How did Jesus quote scripture? Do you think he got a download from heaven before he got born into, into this world? No. He read the Bible. As a kid, he read the Bible. He committed it to memory. He did his best to uh, understand, interpret, make sense of, memorize the scriptures. He read them humbly. He read them hungrily. He wanted to know who God was and what he was like to the point that he realized, wow, maybe I'm God. And he started to realize, hey, these scriptures are filled with potent power to make sense of the world. Jesus read the scriptures, and we too are called to read the scriptures. How's this for an interesting study that was done uh, of 40,000 Americans? And they, they basically created a graph. People who read their Bible once a week 
They see little to no transformation in their lives. They look like everyone else in society. There's very little differentiating factors. Twice a week, very similar to the people who read it once a week. There was a tiny blip when people read their Bibles three times a week. It was like, oh, this is a little bit of stuff. There was a tiny little bit of extra joy, but relationally there was just as much struggle and as much stress and anxiety. But the amazing thing is that for people who read their Bible four times or more, there was a radical shift in joy levels, lower stress and anxiety, health of relationships and marriage. It was like as if something shifted from three to four. I, I, I didn't read all the explanations, only to say that there is something to be said for regularity. It probably goes down to hunger to actually know God rather than religious practice of, oh, I better read my Bible to tick that box. No, no, I'm going to do this because I need it and my soul needs Scripture to make sense of a fallen and broken world. Hey, Scripture reading. I wonder if you could read it humbly, hungrily wanting to know God holding on to, trying to memorize Scripture. There's nothing better than memorizing Scripture. Seriously, you might read a long passage. One little line sticks out to you in the morning. Hey, try committed to memory. I, my favorite thing, and uh, I think it was actually Jolene who told me this, uh, or maybe it was Carly, actually. She said, when people write things down, you're six times more likely to memorize it or act it out if you've written it down. So my favorite thing to do is to read the Bible with a journal. This one somebody gave to me. I don't usually get such fancy, colorful ones. Every morning, uh, see, yesterday wasn't very good. I got interrupted by the kids, so I wrote about that much. The day before was a little longer. But each morning, I open my Bible, I read a short passage, and then I write stuff down. I go, hey, Lord, this is what I, this is what I read, and this is what I stuck out to me, and this is how I'd like to apply it to my life. And this is, how I, this is what I'm praying for today. And I write it down. It slows me down because Jesus isn't in a hurry. Never in the Bible do you see Jesus rushing around. He seems to walk, go at a, a really reasonable pace. And so I write it down because I want to walk at Jesus' pace. And sometimes we've got to wake up super early. But, but we read the scriptures in the morning. I try my best. I don't know if there's a better time. I think most of the time it's best in the morning. Life is tough. Things are complicated. Traffic is hectic. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you, though, transforming into the image of Jesus, being metamorphosized, seeing him for who he is, and then seeing our hearts become more like him, it's going to be near impossible to do without at least four times a week being in the Scriptures. If you're new to faith, I know this is like so big. We've got a fantastic book called Ignite. It can help you to understand the Bible. We've got life groups that help you to walk with people who know the Bible just a little better. It can help make sense of that stuff. That's, a, that's all key to, to learning what it's all like. And then the other one is reflection. Reflection. Reflection is the ability to slow down and think. To take stock of your life. How often do you read in the scriptures, Jesus slows down, he looks at his disciples like they had nothing to talk about, and they're sitting around the fire. And he goes, who do people say that I am? Like he just, he's just reflecting, he's just thinking. Or he steals away in the morning or the evening to go get some time alone, and it seems like he's in a state of prayer and reflection. It's like he's not too busy to slow down and think. Abraham Lincoln, one of his close friends, says that he was, uh, yes, he read a fair amount, but his friends noted him more than for reading a lot, was for sitting and thinking a lot. He just sat and he thought. I wonder if we would do well sometimes to slow down 
and reflect. I, I think in my life, the best way that I've solved this problem is in the morning, I have my morning devotionals, I read my Bible, I try to ask God, what is he, who is he in the scripture? How do I make an application in my life in the day? Then I pray. And then in the evening, I have a bit of a five-minute routine. It's literally five minutes, where this book lives next to my bed with a pen inside it. I think the pen's still there. There it is. And I write a little date at the top, and I reflect on my day. It just keeps me disciplined to reflect. And uh, it takes me five minutes. You'll be amazed. And Nikki finds it really attractive, by the way. So just before bed, I do my journaling. She thinks it's like really hot stuff writing in this book. So I write, and I simply answer two questions. I say this. Um, firstly, what, where, did, where was Jesus exalted in this day? Such a wonderful thing. I go, oh, my kids were just so filled with joy today. They made me marvel at God's kindness. Or I go, the way that this person served me when I didn't expect it was just magnificent. I saw Jesus there. And then, and then I have a little moment of confession where I go, where did I not reflect Jesus in a way that I should have? And I write it down. And I reflect on what I did that didn't honor the ways of Jesus. And you'll be amazed. When you put pen to paper and you reflect on that stuff, it's not as big as you thought it was. Because the enemy comes and he says, you have duffed it today and you're a failure. You better go to sleep quickly so you can you know, just forget about your pain. Forget about your failure. Wake up tomorrow and do it again. You write it down. You go, oh, I, just, I was just a bit ratty with the kids and I was short with Nick's and I wasn't that kind. You write it down. You go, I've written this down. God's heard me and he's forgiven me. I know that. You, put your be- you, you, you close the book and something different happens. Go to bed excited for the next day because you've got right with God. You've reflected. You've, you've confessed. You've made sense of your day and you've closed the book. And something about putting your head on your pillow is that much sweeter. It's magnificent. I, I don't know if I could imagine a decade without evening reflections. I know it sounds crazy because I've only been doing it for about six months. But I just can't imagine not reflecting on my day in the evening and just saying, Jesus, how could I have served you better today? And Jesus, thank you for the stuff you did today. Maybe loads of you are already doing it, and I'm just behind the curve. Those of you that aren't, these are about 10 bucks. If you go to pick and pay after the stationary rush, I'm sure they'll be even cheaper. And just buy a bunch and let them be littered around your house. And when they finish, buy a new one. And just start the practice of reflection. So what have I said today? I've said actually... God's calling us not to try, but to practice. We've got a decade ahead of us. How about we start practicing to follow Jesus? Two things I've suggested today is, um, one, we we get hungry, and then we start to practice just reading our Bibles daily. I don't know what that's going to look like. There's loads of ways to do it. Go to uh, version and find some options of maybe some Bible reading plans. I don't mind how you do that. Um, that's up to you. We've got a fantastic one coming out in Feb, so wait for that. We're going to do a a together devotional. It is glorious. Honestly, we have a preaching agenda lined up for this year that is going to blow your hair back in terms of becoming more like Jesus and reflecting it to the world. Final prophetic thing. Maybe the band can come up as I share this. I've had a lot of time. Holidays. You get to spend time with your kids, and I had the privilege of doing the same. And I, I noticed two patterns in my two older kids. The younger one, it's hard to work out exactly what she's like. But the two older ones, there's one of my kids who I get the feeling is sometimes just too scared to try certain things. She's too scared to practice. Sometimes it's like, if you just knew that I was right next to you while you were peddling, you wouldn't mind if I let you go because you can do this. 
you actually can. You don't need to be afraid because even if you're about to fall over, I'm here, I will catch you. I'm always going to walk next to you. Or, or I wish you could just get on this board and we can paddle out together because I'm right here. If you fall off, I'll just put you back on the board and you can stand. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. I'm with you. And I, and I sometimes just wish she knew that she could trust that I was right there with her. Be less afraid. My, my, my other daughter, I sometimes just wish she could know how much I love her, that she needed to try softer, not harder. Sometimes just wish she knew that as she does things, she could slow down, just rest, just, just be with me and know that it's okay to not do something all the time. Sometimes practicing following Jesus is exactly like that. You get in proximity with God where he sometimes says, slow down, you need to Sabbath, you, you need to rest, you need to know that I'm with you even when you're doing nothing. For others of us, it, it's, it's about doing the practices that say you need to try because you need to know that God loves you. You can start doing some stuff and he will be there with you even if you fall, he will pick you up. The practices, the following of Jesus in all these different things are going to help balance our followership such that sometimes God's going to breathe courage into you in this year because you've been with him. He's going to call you to do something you've never done before. But you've got to be with him. Nikki used this lovely analogy. She says, you know, the grace of God is always falling like a waterfall. But few of us are getting under that waterfall. Practicing following Jesus is to say, I'm going to do some stuff that gets me under that. I don't want to just look at it. I don't want to stare at the theory of grace. I want to be under the grace of God. I'm going to read my Bible because I want to be drenched in God's kindness. I'm going to reflect on my day because I want to be drenched in character transformation. I'm going to be under this waterfall this year. Hey, we're going to do some stuff this year. We're going to practice following Jesus this year. I hope that you are as hungry and excited as I am because there's something special for us this year. Something good that God has for each of us. And it's not going to be because we try once. It's going to be because we practice over and over again. Won't you stand? Let's pray. Maybe you can start your own 